Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got Nissa Gron on the podcast. Nissa is actually, she runs a, a co-host podcast with T.C. Hale, who I had on a while back, and we dove deep into digestion on that podcast. We had like a follow-up podcast here with her and myself, and we dive deep into digestion as well, but then also how she's lost over 100 pounds on the keto diets, and more importantly, how she did it while increasing calories. If y'all listen to any of my podcasts, you know that I get uh, just frustrated with the fact that people eat far too little uh, in a chronic caloric deficit. So it was refreshing for her to give her story and kind of be a testament to eating more calories and being healthy and actually truly improving your health from not being chronically calorically depleted. live. Nissa, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. So we had a podcast on, I guess it's yours and TC Hale's joint podcast. I was on there. I don't know when his is going live, so I don't know when people will be able to listen to that. But y'all are like experts with regards to digestion. That's most of what we talked about on that podcast. Yeah, he's basically the digestion expert and everything I know, I learned from him. Nice. Well, I definitely want to dive into digestion, but I want to kind of preface all of that with just diving a little bit deeper into your story. Um, so so kind of give me an intro on, on what got you in the keto space. I know you've had a pretty impressive transformation yourself. So just kind of dive into that a little bit. Yes, it's a long story, but of course, aren't they all? Um, so I basically started gaining weight at a pretty young age, probably around eight or nine. And um, I started noticing it like a lot of young girls do around age 12. And that that was back in the early 90s. So low fat, low calorie was still the craze with overexercise. And even at a young age, I jumped on board with all of that. So I was counting calories, reducing fat as much as possible. And um, even at age 12, I was following along with all of the step aerobics and any other kind of cardio that you can think of. And I basically followed that same kind of pattern for the next 20 plus years, which meant that I was losing and regaining the same 20 to 50 pounds year after year because as a lot of people know that's really not a sustainable way to live especially when you're cutting calories very low and trying to over exercise to get results mm -hmm. and i also had a ton of health problems that came with it so for more than 20 years the list is long but i had pretty much daily headaches that sometimes um led into migraines that were strong enough to send me to the er I had anxiety, depression, um, my skin was always itchy, I had insomnia, nausea, um, and then I also had, of course, hypoglycemia, and then that resulted in diabetic blood sugar levels, which I found out 20 years later when I became pregnant with my first son, I actually had gestational diabetes where I needed to use insulin. And so all that 20 years of yo-yo diets and poor health led me to being about 100 pounds overweight after I had my first son. Gotcha, gotcha. Were you, all right, so a lot we can dive into here. Yes. First of all, how, how did you even like know to start looking into this at 12 years old? Like when did you feel like you were, like what led you to believe just from the media that you were, you know, carrying extra weight? Like what's that thought process? Um, I think it was just being bigger than a lot of the girls at my school. Like I, I wouldn't say that, I was obese at a young age, but I was just the chubby girl. 
And I think a lot of girls, even younger these days, recognize that about themselves and they start trying to make changes that early on. Um, so I think just, you know, everyday life, just seeing what you see in the media, the commercials for like Slim Fast. I know that was one of the diets I tried early on. Um, so I think that's kind of where it all started. Do you remember like how low you were taking your calories in? Um, back then, when I was 12, I don't think I was really counting calories because things weren't that advanced yet. It wasn't as easy to just look up calories on the internet like you can now, but I was definitely paying attention to fat. Um, so I can still remember like my mom, you know, trying to help me to lose weight. She would help me count how many fat grams I just ate. And that was like such a big deal. And obviously now I know that that's not the great thing to do to lower your fat for better health. But back then I was keeping it probably under 20 grams a day was the recommendation. Of total fat? That's crazy. Yeah. And it wasn't even, and there was like no talk of good fats or bad fat. So the 20 grams of fat that I was eating each day was probably found in like potato chips. Wow. So your, your hormones are probably all out of whack just because you weren't getting any of the precursors to healthy hormone balance. Yeah. I mean, it, it just really screwed up my body for many, many years to come. And even now I've been um, following a low carb lifestyle or keto for almost six years. And I've been working to improve my digestion for just as long. And, you know, I'm still dealing with a lot of ramifications that came from things that happened over the past 20 years. So was there like any point during that 20 year period where you knew with certainty that this was just not the right way to go about it? Like it just wasn't healthy, it wasn't sustainable. I mean, you probably see the fluctuations in the scale. But was there any point that like, you knew that you were doing actual damage to your body? So I did. And and the problem is, especially with women, is, you know, we're always told to counter calories and all you have to do is eat less calories than you take in to find better health. And so you're just stuck in this cycle where things work for a little while and then they stop working and then you gain back more weight. And then you try to get back on it, things work for a little while, and you just keep following this cycle where you just keep losing and regaining the weight. And I think every woman goes into a new weight loss plan with the idea that this is going to be the one, this is the one that's going to stick, this is the one that's going to work. And I'll be honest, by the time I hit my highest weight, which was around 245, after I had my first son, I was just done with dieting. I had done it for over 20 years. I was so mentally exhausted. And by that point, I just thought my body was broken and that I would just have to live a life being obese. Mm -hmm. That's got to be a pretty, pretty tough mental realization to, to feel hopeless like that. I mean, I don't even, I don't know. I've, I've been, I've hit some pretty bad lows and it's, it's strange because when you kind of see the light on the other side, you don't really take the time to reflect back on that as much as you should probably because you're just focused on what the future holds. But when I actually stop and think about the the mentality I had when things were looking bleak, it's it's pretty it's pretty dark. I mean, you don't want that upon anybody. So knowing where you're coming from, because do you remember how old you were at this point? Um, so when I had my first son, I I was just turned thirty four. Thirty four, and you said two forty five. Yeah, 2.45. And you've been dieting on and off for like 20 years and so nothing that you had really done worked up to that point. So how did you kind of figure out that keto was a thing, low carb was a thing? Like what was the transition into, into finding that? Okay, so I want to preface this by saying that throughout the 20 plus years of dieting, I had tried um, probably, it was never called keto because I didn't know what keto was, but I've always tried low carb. I started with Atkins back when I was like, 18 or 19 years old. And so low carb was always 
kind of one of the diets that I tried, but I would try it for a few weeks, sometimes a few months, and then I'd fall off track and I'd gain all the weight back. Um, so that was kind of mixed in with like calorie counting, Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, like basically any diet you can name I've tried. Um, and I've even tried to mix them together with low carb and it just never really stuck for me. Um, so when I reached that weight, like I gave myself a few months to just kind of forget about weight loss and because I had a new baby. And when you have a new baby, you know, that just kind of takes over your life. You're not sleeping. You're not really eating right. Um, but like right around the when he hit three months old, I started looking back into diets again. And I've always been a really big researcher in a diet. So I, I knew a ton about like calories and the nutrients in food. Like if you place something in front of my face, I could pretty much tell you how many calories was in it because I'd spent so long just counting calories and weighing out food. Um, so I was always researching diets. And so I came across a book that was, it was like a weight loss challenge. I don't remember the name of the book, um, but it was basically you compete against your friends to lose weight. So I thought, okay, maybe that'll help me. So I started reading the book, but the day that I downloaded that book, there was another book for free on Amazon and it's called Kick Your Fat in the Nuts. And since I'm such a diet book junkie, I'm like, oh, I'll get this. Maybe I'll read it later. And so maybe like a month after I started the diet challenge, I started reading that free book that I found and it was just crazy. Even though I had been researching nutrition for more than 20 years, um, even though I, you know, I took college classes about nutrition and I, I just knew so much. Once I read that book, I realized that I actually knew nothing. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's so far removed from what we've been taught our whole lives. That it's kind of hard to wrap your head around at first glance, for sure. What made you even want to kind of dive into it just because you felt like there was nothing else that was going to work? So when I started reading the book, it was another low-carb diet, which I did not want to do low-carb because I had tried it and failed it so many times before. And then, um, so this is TC's book, the guy that I do the podcast with. Um, so I, I was reading the book and he also talked about digestion, which was pretty foreign to me. Like, you know, I, I know the basics of digestion, but I didn't really understand the implica implications if you're not digesting your food correctly, how that could affect weight loss. Mm -hmm. And so I just um, read the book because... A, it's written by a stand-up comedian, so it's pretty entertaining to read. But also the information, like the things that he was talking about with the chemistry imbalances and with the digestive issues, I felt like he was describing me in almost every single chapter because I had all of the same problems when it came to the um, chemistry imbalances, and I had all of the same problems when it came to the digestive issues. So at that point, I was kind of like, it was kind of like my Hail Mary. Like he recommended taking these supplements for better digestion and no dieter wants to go into it and take more supplements because you're sold all this junk that doesn't work. It's probably making things worse for you. So I went into it a little bit skeptical. Um, and also with the low carb, like I said, I, I just didn't want to do that again because I never felt good while doing it before. Um, but I was just at a point where I was so desperate and nothing else was working that I needed to try something. What, do you remember what the supplements were? Yeah, I still um, take them and I help other people learn how to take them because they really are helpful. So the basic supplements that he recommends are beet flow, which is a highly concentrated beet green, and then also um, HCL, hydrochloric acid, because so, so many people are deficient in stomach acid. And then the final one is the digestozyme, which is basically just a digestive enzyme that has other components like zinc to help you start producing your own stomach acid again. 
were, were there like specific, like, do you remember any specific digestive issues, like slow transit, IBS? Like, was there anything specific that you were struggling with then? Yes. I mean, so I started taking these supplements basically to lose weight. And you should not take these supplements to lose weight because they're not miracle weight loss pills by any means. Um, they're only helpful if you have the problems with digesting your food, which a lot of people do. Um, but I had digestive problems that I had no idea I had. So I was constipated and I really had no idea because no one ever really talks about it. Like when I think of someone who's constipated, I think of someone who is trying to go to the bathroom and they're pushing and squeezing and nothing comes out. Um, and I didn't really have that issue, but I was only going to the bathroom maybe once a week. And I thought that was completely normal. Yeah, that's, that's not good. Yeah. So beyond that, I had a, a ton of other digestive issues that I didn't even know were related to digested. Um, so I had cystic acne for a good 15 years. Um, and that was related to my bile not flowing. So I wasn't emulsifying the fats that I took incorrectly. And so I had to follow a few of the steps. I had to take beet flow, which helps with that. Um, and then there's another supplement called Zeniplex, which also helps get sticky bile moving. So I had to do that as well. Um, but a lot of my health problems that I, I'd mentioned, like the headaches, um, the anxiety and depression, all of that was related to digestion and I didn't even know it. And, you know, I was taking the supplements for a few months before I really realized the effect that they were having on not only helping me lose weight, but helping me overcome these health issues that I had for over 20 years. I'm, I'm curious, did you have any kind of complications prior to the birth of your son? You said son, right? Yes. Due to like any of these uh, health issues, like while you were pregnant? I did. Um, so I went into pregnancy thinking like, like most women, you just want to eat because I'd, I'd led such a life of restriction before that trying to lose weight. And so I was just ready to eat all the food, um, which was not a good thing because of course I was eating a lot of carbs, um, a lot of high sugar drinks, which I never allowed myself before. And that actually resulted in gestational diabetes. And so I went to see a nutritionist for that and an endocrinologist, and they recommended a lower fat, higher carb diet in order to not have to take insulin. So I, I knew about nutrition, but I didn't really know about low carb for um, diabetes yet. And so I followed their advice and I ended up having to take insulin injections because of their advice. So let me make sure I'm following you correctly here. You had the gestational, gestational diabetes while you're pregnant. They advised you take a low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet to prevent yourself from needing to supplement with insulin. And then basically, as, as a result, you had to supplement with insulin. Yeah, and they also recommended for me to, to skip the sugary drinks, which obviously is good advice, but they were recommending that I replace it with diet drinks, which right now makes me cringe that they would recommend like those artificial sweeteners for any pregnant woman. Um, but you know, back then that is what they recommended. And I say back then, it's not very long ago. My son just turned six. Um, but yeah, so the, the very advice that they were giving me is what caused me to need insulin injections three times a day, every day for the rest of my pregnancy. Do you remember how many units you were taking in? No. I mean, basically back then I just, I was really scared because I didn't know what it meant. So I was just kind of following the advice they gave me, but I don't remember how much it was. Has your son had any kind of issues as a result, like any kind of, uh, you know, diabetic 
uh, implications whatsoever? Luckily, he hasn't. They did tell me, because I had gestational diabetes with him, that he would have a higher chance of type 2 diabetes. Um, and it does make me nervous because of another health issue that he had. He had a tongue tie that was never diagnosed. So he doesn't eat meat because he choked on it when he was younger. So now it's like a mental block where he won't eat it. So he's in place eating a lot of carbs. So it does make me nervous. And we are trying to get him to eat more protein and more fat in place of the carbs. Um, but luckily so far, he's his health has been excellent. That's good. Very good. So dive a little bit to the digest. I kind of want to flesh that out because there's a lot of things that people, you know, they, they are just ignorant with regard to digestion. Like the you supplementing with HCL, hydrochloric acid, you know, I, I've had a few different nutritional therapists on the podcast and they'll say, you know, most people are deficient in that, which is funny because most people think they're they're producing too much stomach acid. That's why they take all the Tums and Alka-Seltzers and whatnot. So kind of just dive into the biology of why we're mostly deficient and kind of how to correct course there. So I think a big problem is because doctors are recommending the acid reducers, which I spent years on the Nexium and Prilosec and all of that too, which just diminishes your stomach acid. Um, and when you have those issues, then you're no longer producing your own stomach acid. And so when you try to eat something that's higher in protein, that you need stomach acid to break down like meat, it's no longer there. It's kind of like for your stomach acid, if you don't use it, you lose it. And um, so for, you know, people who aren't eating meat often, their stomach acid won't be high. Or for people who are, um, you know, following the high carbohydrate approach, you're not really getting in that much protein. And for those people who are also taking in a lot of medications, such as those acid reducers, all of those things can lead to low stomach acid. Um, and so that can lead to like when I after I had my son, I was really, really nauseous anytime I tried to eat meat. And that's one of the side effects of low stomach acid, because basically your body's not breaking that down and you're not able to utilize it. And a lot of times the meat will just like sit like a rock in your stomach because mm -hmm. you're not able to break it down. Gotcha. So what are some like, you know, surefire signs that somebody's probably deficient? Like are there any, you know, biological signals they're getting sent? that would, would indicate that they need to increase their, their HCL intake? Yeah, there's quite a few. And it does get a little tricky because um, different chemistry imbalances can, can also signify that. But um, for low stomach acid, a lot of the big ones is if you're constipated, um, if your stool, like when you, this is kind of gross, but <laughs> when you go to the bathroom, if you could still see food in your stool, that's a sign that your body's not breaking it down appropriately. Um, if you're getting heartburn, especially soon after eating, that's another sign. And also like if you have low blood pressure, a lot of people talk about high blood pressure being a problem. But when you have low blood pressure, that's a sign that your body's not breaking down your nutrients appropriately. And so you're not getting the um, nutrients you need to keep your blood pressure high enough. And so that can lead to issues like depression or anxiety, which I dealt with a ton. What about like the, the dosage? Like how, I guess you just have to kind of start at like a minimum dosage and then just kind of titrate that up until you notice a, uh, an improvement? Yeah, TC talks about it in the digestion course that he did, and he also talks about it in his book. But basically, you want to start, and you you want to take HCL with meals with protein, and um, that's because the HCL is helping you break that protein down. And you basically want to start with one pill, 
And then um, as long as that goes okay, you want to move it up to two and you want to keep following that pattern until you get to five. And a lot of people need to hold that five for quite some time until their body starts producing its own stomach acid. Um, and then basically he teaches you in the book signs to look for for when you could start taking it back. Is there like a specific milligram dosage for those pills or are they all about the same? Um, it is different. So he recommends the brand natural reference. And I think that's like 515, I don't know if it's milligrams. Um, I don't have a bottle in front of me, but he recommends that. So if you do get an HCL at like a local health store, you want to make sure to adjust the dosage. And you also want to make sure that you're not getting an HCL with pepsin because a lot of times that can lead to more heartburn issues. So what is pepsin? Because I've, I've looked at these and been conscious of it since you know, talking to different nutritional therapists. And it seems like the vast majority of all the HCL supplements are with pepsin. Like you have to go out of your way to find the ones without pepsin. Yeah. And that I actually don't have the answer to. I just know to that that I have worked with clients in the past that have gotten their own HCL and they try it with pepsin and it seems to always be an issue. So I'm not exactly sure why so many companies add that. Um, but that's why we recommend the natural reference brand because they don't add that and that way people won't have trouble with it. That makes sense. And what was the other supplement you're talking about, iodine? Um, beet flow. Yeah, beet flow. And there's one more, I believe. Digestizyme. Digestizyme, that must be it. But what, what are the, the main mechanistic factors in there that's, that's causing a change? Um, so digestizyme, those are just, you know, basically digestive enzymes, which, you know, a lot of people, especially as we age, you need those to help break down your food. So you're getting all your nutrients. And if you don't have enough enzymes to help you digest your food, your body will start pulling those enzymes from other processes that are important. Um, so we recommend, especially if you're over age 30, that everyone should be taking digestive enzymes with their food. And the reason that we typically recommend the digestizyme brand or version from Natural Reference is because it has other cofactors like zinc. And when you have those cofactors, those are going to help you start producing your own stomach acid on, on your own again. So you don't have to take the HCL for quite as long. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and the beet flow is what's called? What, what's the, the main uh, mechanics behind that? So that is basically just highly concentrated beet greens. So it's kind of like if you, you know, cut the the greens off of beets and you cook them up and you um, grind them down into pill form. That's what it is. And it just helps get extra thick and sticky bile flowing. And if your bile is not flowing, then that can result in things like nausea. Um, it can result in acne or itchy skin. Um, things like that. And obviously it, it could also, oh, it can also result in like running to the bathroom with diarrhea if your bile is not flowing correctly, because then the food that you're eating, it's not having that sizzle and it's going right through you. And that could be one of the reasons that you're running to the bathroom with diarrhea when you start a high fat diet, because you're not digesting that fat appropriately. Gotcha. Gotcha. I didn't even realize they they use the green part of the beet for supplementation. I mean, you always hear about them using the 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 red part, you know, like the actual meat of the beet, um, as like a vasodilator. But I didn't even know they used the the green portion. Well, and that's where it gets tricky because I don't think there's actually another company besides Natural Reference that sells beet flow. And so a lot of people will go into their health food store and um, get the beet root, which is different because it's it's not going to have the same bile thinning effects that beet flow does. And so um. You know, they might say, oh, it doesn't work, but 
as far as I know, natural reference is the only one that sells the beat flow. So they do have to go with that option. Plus you'll be getting a bunch of like sugars and carbohydrates from the beetroot itself as opposed to the green portion. So that's another good reason to go for the greens. Yeah. And, and you can eat beet greens, um, but it's so highly concentrated in the pills that you're not going to have the same effect unless you like only eat beet greens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So when you talk about bile, most people hear that and they, they automatically think about the gallbladder. So a lot of people don't have a gallbladder. What is your take on, you know, digestion on keto and bile production in the absence of a gallbladder? Um, so some, most people that do not have a gallbladder will have to supplement with beet flow, but only temporarily until they can get bile moving. Um, but most people would do a lot better if they use an ox bile supplement because since they no longer have that storage area for their excess bile, they need to bring bile in before they eat. So that way they can have that explosion occur in order to break down their food appropriately. Um, and with the ox bile, obviously with any supplement, it's always important to have a high quality version. Um, but you also really want to make sure that you're getting the timing down because if, it's, if you're taking the ox bile too close to eating, then stomach acid can interfere with that. Um, so I definitely always recommend people to take the digestion course or to read TC's book so that way you can get the timing down. Gotcha, gotcha. So is the oxbowl salt something that you would have to supplement indefinitely if you don't have a gallbladder, or is that something that's just temporary? That one is most likely indefinitely because you don't have a, you're never going to get your gallbladder back. It's always going to be gone, so you won't have that storage area. And where where is the the can can you just kind of dive into like the uh, the biology of like how the bile is produced and flows through the body? Because some people are under the impression that the gallbladder is what actually produces the vast majority of the bile, which is not necessarily the case. That might be a little too advanced for me. <laughs> That's where TC would come in on our podcast and explain all that for you. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, what about the like post you know digestion fixes here? What are some other things that you've noticed? that uh, have been basically a result of just the, the better digestion? Because, you know, people say like the uh, the gut and the microbiome is like the, the second brain. So I think we're just now starting to tap into realizing how important proper digestion is. But for you, like in your case specific example here, what are some of the things that, have, that you've noticed since kind of nailing that down? So I think really the biggest one for me and – for a lot of other women out there, and I know I talk about women a lot because that's mostly who I work with, um, it finally got me off the yo-yo diet roller coaster. Because like I said, for 20 years, I was losing and regaining the same 20 to 50 pounds season after season, year after year. And that was basically because all of the foods that I was trying to eat, like the foods that were higher in protein, or once I found keto, the foods that were higher in fat, my body wasn't breaking those foods down. So I didn't feel good. Like I would just feel, even though I just ate, I'd still feel hungry or I'd feel crabby. And I'd only last on low carb most of the time for a few weeks because junk food cravings would always come back. And so once my body was better at breaking down the foods, that I was giving it, I didn't have those junk food cravings anymore. Gotcha. What about um, like fiber? Like that's like the controversial topic as far as digestion is concerned within the keto space. Everybody's wanting to know if fiber is, you know, relevant or not relevant. I mean, a lot of people, like carnivores, for instance, are the, the opinion that there's enough micronutrients in 
you know, meat that you're not really missing anything by not getting your greens. So like, what's your take on all that? Um, I would agree. So when I first started coaching people with keto, I would tell them to eat all the vegetables because it's more of a like, do as I say, not as I do. But I personally wasn't eating all the vegetables. I was still eating a lot of meat, a lot of fats. And as far as good digestion, it wasn't really fiber. Like fiber didn't do any magic tricks for me. It was the HCL that really helped me. Have you noticed any adverse effects whatsoever from not having a lot of greens? Because you've been doing this for six years now, you said, right? Yeah, going on six years. Um, no, nothing. I mean, I, I do eat greens. I do eat vegetables. I just don't eat them as often as I tout to my clients, <laughs> probably. Um, but no, I, I haven't really noticed any bad side effects of that. So if we're going to narrow it down even further with regard to like more of a meat-based approach that you're following, have you noticed, you know, certain types of meats having a, a better impact or a worse impact on your digestion than others? Um, so I, I still don't eat a ton of meat and I vary it. So I can either eat like steak or beef or chicken. And I don't really have any issues because I do take the supplements. Um, but for a regular person, they're probably going to have a much harder time breaking down something like a steak or a red meat versus something like chicken. Um, so if your digestion's poor, like a lot of people will prefer, they say they prefer the taste of turkey bacon as opposed to regular bacon, or they say they prefer the taste of um, turkey ground meat over regular ground meat. And it's not really that they like the taste better. It's just that they probably can't digest the ground beef. So now they're going to prefer the turkey meat because that's easier to digest. Yeah, it definitely can't be the taste. If they think turkey bacon is better than real bacon, they got problems. <laughs> yeah, that's usually a digestion issue when they say that they prefer that. Um, so if they started taking the HCL and following that routine, they'd probably realize how much better regular bacon tastes. <laughs> so so what are the bulk of most of your calories coming from now if you're not eating a ton of meats, but you're also not eating a ton of veggies? I am big into fat bombs, which I know um, some keto people are against fat bombs. They don't, I don't know, if maybe like too many sugar or too many sweeteners in them, but I don't use any artificial sweeteners. I stopped using artificial sweeteners, um, well, I think going on two years ago. And so I basically get sweetness from like very dark chocolate, which is usually 90% or above, or other foods that are just naturally sweet, like peanut butter, almond butter, things like that. And so I end up eating a lot of fat bombs throughout the day to help keep my fat really high. And then I probably eat protein only once or twice per day. So do you have any idea kind of what your macronutrient ratio pie chart, so to speak, would look like if you were to graph it out? It's interesting because I actually... Growing up in the dieting world for 20 years, I always tracked everything. And so now that I'm finally at my goal weight and I'm staying there, it's kind of infuriating to me to track things. I just, I don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't want to do it. Um, but recently I started a keto challenge. And so I wanted to show people that I eat a lot of food and I wanted to show them how much I eat. So I actually did track it for a week and it's kind of crazy. So back in the day when I was trying to lose weight and, um, you know, I was on that diet roller 
coaster. I was probably only eating like 12 to 1300 calories a day. Mm-hmm. And back then I was probably, you know, anywhere around 180 pounds. I'm 5'7". So now I average around 140 pounds. And my average calories throughout the week was well over 2000. It was probably closer to like 2200 a day. Um, some days were as high as 2500. And I'm probably getting around 75 to 80% fat. And then um, carbs, some days I go a little bit higher because I am at my goal weight, Um, but I'm usually between like 20 to 50 grams of carbs and then I just kind of fill in protein with the rest. And with those, with that higher fat ratio, you pretty much followed the same protocol when you were losing the bulk of your weight, like having that higher fat ratio protocol? Yeah, I've always, because I come from such a place of restriction where I'd never gave my body enough to thrive on that now if I were to try to lower my fat, like a lot of keto people teach, I would stall. And I, and I noticed that with a lot of people who come from the same kind of dieting background where they've always gained and lost and gained and lost that if they go into keto and they start with their fat high, that a lot of people actually need to keep their fat high in order to keep seeing results. Yeah, it's interesting. I hear a lot of people argue for you know, if you have a lot of, uh, you know, adipose tissue, body fat to lose, you need to cut back on your dietary fat. And I feel like, you know, that may be true for some. I mean, we're all individuals here, but I mean, for me personally, I've always maintained a higher fat ratio. My clients have always maintained a higher fat ratio and it's not causing any, you know, plateauing uh, in any form or fashion there. So I feel like if you have a higher fat ratio, basically your body becomes more adapted and efficient at learning to use fat as the primary fuel source so that when you maintain that higher fat ratio, you can kind of adjust your calories and, you know, activity and and other factors that obviously come into play. But you don't necessarily want to take that fat ratio down very far because that's what you've basically adapted to using as your primary fuel source. So taking that down, it's just going to have an adverse effect. Yeah. And like, and we hear all of these people saying, oh, you need to lower your fat so you could burn your own body fat. But like my husband, for example, he's been doing keto almost as long as I have, and he's been doing low carb. And so a lot of people say, all you need to get into ketosis is to keep your carbs below 20. And as long as you do that, you'll get into ketosis. And so when we first started, he didn't know any better. So he was kind of following that logic where he was keeping his carbs below 20 and just kind of eating to feel good. But he could not get into ketosis on a blood ketone meter and he was not losing weight. And so once we moved to Arizona, he actually went to see Doc Nally because we're lucky that he is close by. And so he went to see Doc Nally to see, you know, why he was keeping his carbs low, but nothing was happening for him. And even though um, my husband's a very large man, he's like football player size. And even though he was keeping his carbs very low, it was the fat. He was not eating enough fat to trigger ketosis. And so even though he was probably eating around 150 to 200 grams of fat a day, um, Doc Nelly wanted him to almost double his fat to like over 250 grams a day. Yeah, that's, I mean, I just feel exponentially better when my fat ratio is north of 75%, oftentimes, you know, north of 78, uh, even 80% at times. But like, Going way down low, I just don't feel as good. I don't perform as good. I don't sleep as good. Like nothing is optimal when my my fat ratio is really low. Yeah. And yeah, and I see that with a lot of people that I work with too. Like they just they're struggling and it's not until they start eating more food, which with keto is more fat, that's when they start seeing consistent results again. 
Yeah, I'm really glad you touched on that because that's one of my big pet peeves. Like, regardless of what dieting protocol you're following, whether it's keto, uh, you know, intermittent fasting, low carb, paleo, Atkins, even flexible dieting, when you focus on just reducing total overall calories with no kind of like cutoff point, like I'll take calories down low when I'm doing a competition prep or something, but you have to have, you know, like they have to have a yin and yang that you have to have your increase in calorie period as well. Because if you just, you know, continually take those calories down, you're going to basically hit a wall and stall, but then you're going to be doing damage to your metabolism, and your hormones. And that takes, you know, oftentimes quite a while to recover from, especially in, in women. You see a lot of women just chronically eating far too little. So do you, do you have any advice for, you know, the women out there that may kind of be of this mindset of men too? I mean, men, men are guilty of it as well, but just how do you <laughs> spread the word, so to speak, on, you know, just chronic caloric depletion is not the answer? So my basic example for them, and, and honestly, I didn't even really know it was a problem until I started seeing some of these women's food logs. And they were they couldn't figure out why they weren't losing weight, and so they're submitting their food logs to me, and they were like 900 calories a day every single day, and it's so easy for me to look at that and say you're not eating nearly enough. I don't care um, how much you weigh right now, 900 calories is not enough for any grown woman to eat. I have a two year well now he's three, so when my son was two, he was eating like 1100 to 1200 calories a day, and yes, mm -hmm. he's growing, but he's also like 30 pounds. So um, I just, I feel like when I start my challenges or when I start working with new people, I have people track. And the only reason that I have them track is to make sure one, their carbs are low enough, their total carbs, not their net carbs, but I want them to have total carbs under 20 to 30 grams. And the second reason I have them track is to make sure their fat is high enough because it's just so easy to think that you need low carbs and that's it. But so many of them are just far too low on fat to even get into ketosis in the first place. Yeah, they're, they're too low on fat, too low on total calories. And I don't know, you kind of have like a, a rough, you know, floor, so to speak, of where you would like to not see any of your clients, regardless of activity levels, uh, you know, history, gender, like do you have a specific floor that you kind of recommend not to go below? Um, so I usually work with people on an individual basis just because I, I used to say like, oh, 1200 calories for anyone is too low. And that's because 1200 calories for me as someone who's five foot seven is too low. No matter what weight I am, that's always going to be too low. But then when I started working with individuals, I found some of the people that are shorter, like you know, five foot or five one, sometimes 1200 calories is right for them. So I really think it needs to be on an individual basis. Yeah, totally agree. But I think we can, we can both agree that nobody in the right mind should probably be like sub 900, 800 calories like you see a lot of people doing. No, that's just crazy. And I, I don't even know how they're functioning because that's not really even enough to get up out of bed during the day and like walk around the house. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been plenty of research that indicates, you know, your brain has a huge energy demand. Like your brain consumes more calories than your body does by, I forget what the ratio is, but it's like 70 or 80% of the calories your body, you know, consumes go, goes to your brain. So like just to, to know what your body is taking in at a total state of rest, like in a coma, you need X amount of calories just to function um, or just to survive and sustain life. I mean, it's sad to see how little people are taking in and like over extended periods of time, like, you know, years, 
at such a low caloric intake. I mean, that that is definitely, you know, wrecking havoc on your entire system. Well, I think the sadder part is people are telling them to do this. Trained professionals are giving them this advice that yeah. they're following. Trained professionals gave me that advice. Yeah, it is. It's pretty bad. Like I, I'll sometimes take clients down pretty low, but it's literally during like the last couple weeks of a contest prep. And then during that time, they're having weekly caloric refeeds. So they're having like a high calorie day to offset that low calorie intake. And, you know, like that's just, you know, a very finite goal, uh, you know, time and time that you're that low, but to just sustain that indefinitely and not have like a, a plan to reverse diet back out of that and titrate calories back up. is just, I don't know, it's just cruel, unusual punishment. It is. And and I do agree. I think that, you know, switching it up and having some days that are sometimes lower and having other days that are sometimes higher can be beneficial. Um, but it's when it's low every single day, that's when it becomes a problem. Totally. Totally. Have you noticed, like, as far as increasing calories and kind of getting towards the higher threshold, do you notice, like, like what are some things that you experience when you're, when you know you've kind of capped out your caloric demands? Like, is there like specific things that you're feeling or just your body responding a certain way to let you know that, okay, you don't need to eat any more than this? Um, so like I said, I stopped tracking a while ago just because I did it for so long. So I've really become really good at listening to my body where I don't eat just because food's there. I eat only if I feel hungry and I stop when I'm, when I feel satiated. And I think that's something that a lot of people have to learn um, because, you know, we're so used to eating on a schedule and we're so used to eating everything on our plate. So it's not something that you can just say, okay, tomorrow I'm only going to eat when I'm hungry and I'm only going to eat until I feel satiated. But I think it's something that takes practice over time. And so now I just listen to my body and I don't have to track macros because I know if I feel like a little weak or shaky, I probably need more protein. Or if I feel hungry, I probably need to eat more fat. Um, and if I have really low energy, I might need some more carbohydrates. Yeah, I feel like reaching some point of just intuitive, instinctive eating should be the goal for for everybody. Like I'm, I'm very much so pro tracking when there's a specific goal in mind that I'm trying to reach or anybody's trying to reach. But just to to live healthy and and enjoy life and not have to be constantly consumed by, you know, how many calories you're consuming or you know what what the macros are on your plate. Like that's like you want to be able to. Like some people are very detail oriented, they just like tracking more power to them. I mean, I'm I'm kind of one of those people, but anybody's goal should be to know that they can survive and feel healthy and comfortable while eating intuitively without having to stress about it. And I do think that most people, not everyone, but most people do need to track when they first get started. And I think they need to track for a while until they start to learn those signals because no one can go into keto and just automatically know how much fat is right for them, especially if they're coming from um, a low fat world where fat is bad. Like to get into ketosis, it's a lot of fat. And I don't think people realize how much fat it is until they actually track it. And also with carbs, like people overestimate their carbs all the time. So I think tracking is necessary at first until you could start to recognize how you feel. Totally agree. I meant to ask earlier, what what is the uh, the base for the majority of the fat bombs? You said you eat a lot of fat bombs. What what are you making these out of? Um, so I think the best fat bombs that are, are most helpful with fat burning have a base of coconut oil. That's just the easiest fat for most people to digest. Um, 
And so I use a lot of coconut oil and like one of my, I use really simple recipes. I feel like people will do the best if they have simple recipes. And so one of the fat bombs I make the most are called minty melts. And it's basically just coconut oil, 90% dark chocolate, a little bit of vanilla and a few drops of mint essential oils. And you're just basically melting that down and freezing them. Um, so that's one of my favorite recipes. And I think one of the best for burning fat. Um, but I also use like a lot of butter. Um, pretty much the more saturated fats I can get into my day, the better I feel. Do you try and take in a lot of olive oil or any kind of monounsaturated fats as well? I don't purposely aim for that. So when I did the digestion work and the chemistry testing, um, my body was leaning way more catabolic probably most of the time just because of all the years I spent dieting, all of the exercise I used to do. Like I used to be a cardioholic where I would exercise anywhere from 60 to 60 minutes to two hours every single day. And so all that time I spent breaking my body down just put me into the state of being catabolic almost all the time. And one of the best things you can do to get out of that state is to avoid the polyunsaturated fats and to get more saturated fat into your diet. And so um, that trick has just always worked really well for me. What's your cardio and training like now? Have you been able to just totally titrate that down while still getting all the benefits of that keto has to offer? Yeah, it's crazy because like I said, I used to be a cardioholic where I'd go to the gym. Like first thing when I woke up, I was at the gym. And then sometimes I do another workout after work. And most of the training I did was cardio just because I was of the mindset calories in versus calories out. And if I could burn way more calories than I took in, then I would lose way more fat. And I just want to say to anyone who still believes that it's not true. It's only going to break your body down and make your health worse. So that is not true. Um, but basically, we moved across country from Chicago to Arizona. And when we did that, I also had a six-month-old baby and I had a three-year-old. So when we got to Arizona with no family, no friends to help, I didn't have time for exercise anymore. Um, so I was basically, by this point, I was following keto. I was following intermittent fasting, like 16-8. And I didn't have time to exercise. The only time I had to exercise was if I was able to get out for a walk with my kids. And I found way more success doing a few walks each week than I did when I was doing all that cardio. Mm -hmm. So I think that really showed me that I don't need to be at the gym seven days a week. Um, but that being said, I also do need to add strength training just so I stay healthy, so I could have like better posture, um, so I can have muscle. So I do, I have added some exercise back in. So I basically go for walks whenever I can. And then I go to Orange Theory Fitness for their um, high intensity interval training, like two to three days each week. Nice. I've never, I've never done an Orange Theory Fitness workout, but I've heard good things about them. A lot of people say that yeah. they feel it for sure. It's, it's really fun. And one of the reasons that I go there is because I, I know that cardio doesn't help me, but if you put me in a gym I like doing cardio, so I'm still going to fight myself to do weights. So at least they're like, they're forcing me to do the weight training aspect. And that really helps me just like feel good overall. Yeah. I mean, my whole take on cardio is like, you want to get enough in to really, you know, optimize your, you know, cardiovascular system. Like you want to be out of shape. I mean, the, the better you're able to breathe and deliver oxygen while you're, you know, by being in shape, the better your weight training is going to perform and just livelihood in general. So I don't ever try and you know, overdo the cardio. Like I never do 
extensive cardio just for the sake of losing body fat by any means. But weight training and resistance training, I mean, from a, a longevity standpoint, that's going to be like the best thing, especially when paired with proper nutrition. I mean, that's like the fountain of youth right there. So your bone structure, your health in general, I mean, everything's just going to function at a much higher rate. You have both those factors in place. Yes. And I think if you add intermittent fasting, then that truly is the fountain of youth. <laughs> 100%. 100%. Well, Nissa, I really appreciate you jumping on here and diving deep with me on nutrition. Um, where can people go to find out more about you? So I am on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube everywhere at Eating Fat is the New Skinny. Awesome. I will certainly link out to those. What's the what's the on the horizon? What do you get coming up next? Um, so right now, I'm just finishing up my keto challenge, which is a three-week challenge I do once a quarter. And people are doing amazing. We have a group of about 40 people, and they are down 225 pounds in just two weeks. So I'm excited about finishing that up. Um, and then for the next few months, I'm actually writing a book about the Keto Challenge because I want to help even more people see those kind of results by eating more food, not less. Um, so I'm working on that. And then I am doing my podcast with TC Hale, and that is called Chat the Fat. Awesome. Well, I will certainly link out to those as well. Like I said, I really appreciate you jumping on here with me. If there's ever anything I can do for you, just let me know. All right. Thank you so much. Take care.